Man, does it feel good to have my pulpit back. Love this thing. Not that I had a problem with the other thing, wherever it is, over there somewhere, but it's not big enough. And so now I, can, I feel like I got so much more room now. Uh, as always, reminder, I think all of our kids have already head out. But if you have not, we have children's uh, church from nursery all the way up. There's a couple. Uh, we have children's church uh, all the way up to second grade. Um, if you would like to join in that, but you certainly do not have to. And uh, you are welcome to stay with us. Uh, for the rest of us, I would like to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I hope that, that you have a fun uh, day planned for the rest of you, uh, for all of you today, as you either go spend time with your dads or as the dad, have them uh, take good care of you. It sounds like several of us already have plans to put some meat on a grill here later today. Uh, I know that is my plan as well, and I am always excited to eat meat. Um, having said that, uh, we're going to take a break today from the book of Deuteronomy, and, and I am just going to uh, share with you a passage today that is I just consider to be a very manly passage. And uh, there's a couple places in the Bible that I really enjoy, um, and, and just kind of some neat passages that get to get to read and get to be a part of. And we have one of those passages today, so this is a today is a, a fun one for me because this is just me getting to pick out a passage that I really like. Uh, we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 23. We're going to read just a couple of verses today um, from this passage, and uh, once we read it, I'll, I'll explain it to you a little bit more. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 23, and we're going to be reading verses 9 and 10. Now before we, we get to the passage, I want to let you know a little bit about what's going on. And when we get to 2 Samuel 23, we get a list of some very neat, very important people during the, the days of King David. And these people were called David's mighty men. And these were the guys that were like the superheroes of the days that David was king. They were famous for who they were. They were soldiers that fought alongside David even before he had become king. And they had reached a certain level of acclaim in the nation of Israel. And I thought of these people today because when, when I think about my dad, I often think about how, you know, how your dad is, is your hero. And I think when, when, when we're little, you know, when we're five or under, and, and that, that dad often is kind of that, that first hero of ours. He's the guy that seems that he can do anything. He can lift heavy objects. He, he is there for you. He can pick you up when you, when you fall, all of that type of stuff. And dad's become that, that, that almost that superhero in your life. As you get a little bit older, kind of other things may kind of take that, that title from, from dad a little bit. You start reading comic books or watching movies and suddenly your hero is, is Iron Man or Spider-Man or Superman or whatever it is. Or, or maybe it's a, an athlete um, maybe it's a professional baseball player or it's a, a football player or a hockey player or something like that. Or, or, or maybe it's just it's, it's people that have a certain job. You know, we start to look at firemen or, or police officers or, or, the, or a soldier and, and those become our heroes. But what I've noticed is the older we get, the more our dads become our hero again. And I hope you've noticed that too. And that suddenly is now I'm a dad and now I have little ones that suddenly I realize, one, how hard it is to be a dad. And I don't know about you, but there have been more than one time in my life where because of my kids, I've had to turn to my parents and go, <laughs> sorry, 
Now I get the worry and now I get the, the concern and now I get all of the things that I maybe have put you through as a high school student and a college student. But I also see how my dad navigated tough things and how my dad sometimes played through the pain and, and was still showed up and was part of my life even though I know he'd been working hard and he'd been tired. And even seeing how my dad had, had kept his faith through, through high points and low points, there's no question my dad be, became my hero once again. And I look at my dad today as one of those mighty men of God. And so I wanted to take today and I wanted to look at one, one of these people that the Bible refers to as a, a hero, as a mighty man of God. And we're going to focus specifically on one such mighty man, and his name was Eleazar. And that's who we get introduced to in 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We have just two verses to read today, but these will be enough for us to really think about what it means to be a mighty man of God. It says this, it says, And after him, talking about one of these other mighty men, it says, And after him was Eleazar the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and he struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The people returned after him only to strip the dead. Please be seated. So the question has to be, what can we learn from this mighty man of God, Eleazar, in such a small and short passage? What was it about the things, what was it about Eleazar that made him heroic? And how do those things even translate to us today in order that we might be a mighty man or a mighty woman of the Lord today? I want to notice just a, a few key points about this gentleman today, and I want us to see how those things still apply to us today, even though we may not be going toe-to-toe against an army of Philistines. The first thing I want you to notice about this passage is it says that, that Eleazar defied the Philistines. And I love this word. As I, I was studying for our, my passage today, the word defied has a bunch of meetings, meanings, and they're all kind of fun. Because it can mean defied, it can mean he stood up against, he stood toe-to-toe, he refused to do what they said to do. It can also mean taunt, that he, he literally went out and began to shout back at them, trying to provoke the Philistine armies. But, but we do know that what, this, what he meant by this word, what the author of, of 2 Samuel meant by this was, he did not run. But he stood toe-to-toe and he defied the threats and the tauntings and and the attitude of the Philistines in this moment. I want to set the scene for you a little bit. And we actually have a a passage that is like a a sister passage to this in Chronicles. If you want, you can keep your thumb here and also maybe put a bookmark in 1 Chronicles 11. Because these two passages are are speaking to the same event and the same guy. And when we put them together, we get a really cool picture of what was happening in this specific event that is mentioned in our passage. Our parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 11 verse 13 says that this all took place at a place called Pazdamim, which was also called Ephrasdamim. And this is a significant place. 
If we look at 1 Chronicles eleven thirteen, 13, it tells us that the place where Eleazar takes his stand, where he defies the Philistine, was known for having a barley field. So picture for a moment, you're out in the country, you're probably down inside of a valley, and inside this valley is a, is a huge barley field, which is like a wheat field. And the Philistines, they're wanting to come down and take that field. They want what's there. They want the resources. They want the land. The land has value. And, and the Israelites are there, sort of. And the Philistines want it. But there's more to, to this particular place than, than we get from just this little thing. See, there's another place that this Ephrath Damim is mentioned. And it is mentioned all the way back in 1 Samuel 17. And it was in this same place that someone who we've heard of before got up and taunted the Israelites as well. And it was a man by the name of Goliath of Gath. See, this place where this all goes down with Eleazar was the same place where David had defied the Philistines by going toe-to-toe with the giant Goliath. So think about the weight and the importance of this place. One of David's greatest victories, in fact, his first victory, the one where David's name became a household name, the thing that that, that set him on this path to, to be king, where everyone learned of what kind of a fighter and what kind of man of God David was. That is where this is taking place. Don't you know that the Philistines wanted this plot of land? They didn't want that to belong to the Israelites because that symbolized something to the Israelites as well as the Philistines about a great loss for the Philistines and a great victory for the nation of Israel. And oh, what a defeating blow and what a humiliating blow to the Israelites at the same place where they at one point slayed a a giant, not a dragon, I'll get there, don't worry, slayed a giant and took the land would now belong back to the Philistines. There was something that could be accomplished here and it was an important place for both of them. So David, Eleazar, Perhaps the rest of the mighty men and the armies of Israel are in this place. However, at this time, there's no giant taunting them. There's just a large army, in fact, a huge army. Israel was outnumbered. The Philistines appeared bigger and stronger than they were even maybe back then. They were approaching Israel from a position of power, and this was shaping up to be a huge defeat for the nation of Israel. But Eleazar steps forward, and he defies, even taunts the Philistines. He looks at their armies and says, come and get me. If you think you have what it takes to take this field, then give it your best shot. Now, he may be treading a very fine line between courage and stupidity. But there was something inside of Eleazar that said, I am not giving this ground. It makes you wonder where that courage may have come from. And and I want to point you back to verse 9 to the very beginning. As we first are introduced to this man named Eleazar, it says that Eleazar was the son of Dodo, which is a horrible name to give your child. And if I ever said, that's my dad, the dodo, I think I'd be in a lot of trouble. But his name actually means something. 
In fact, we can look to other places in Scripture, and if we go to 1 Chronicles 27, we are introduced to the same man, only under a slightly different name. Instead of it being Dodo, it's Dodai, which I can only assume he changed his name because he didn't want to be called Dodo. Um, No, it's the same thing. And it says, And Dodai, the Ahohite, and his division had charge of the division for the second month. Milkoff being the chief officer, and in his division were 24,000 people. Now, in First Chronicles 27, there is an instruction about who was going to be in Jerusalem with David each month of the year. And each month of the year, each of the 12 tribes would have a, a month, and each one would be there with their armies, with one of their battalions to, to guard the city and to take care of it. And, one, and the leader, the general of that family's um, division, that family's company would be in charge and be stationed there. This means that Eleazar's father was a soldier like he was. And not just a soldier, but he was a general, a commander, one over many people. See, see, Eleazar had the courage and the strength to defy even the great, the great numbers that he stood against because of how his father raised him. And he raised him to be a soldier. And he had that example. And he knew what, the, what Israel could do. And he knew the importance of, of this field and the importance of Israel. And he had an example that he followed. Fathers, do not think for a moment that the example you set is not important. Because you never know how when you are faithful in maybe a thousand little things, how that may very well be the thing that encourages your children to be faithful in the big things. See, Dodo's work as a commander probably did not put him in battles like Eleazar had today, but he faithfully served and was committed to the Lord and to the charge that he was given, and because of that, his son had the courage to stand the way he did. But I really believe that Eleazar didn't just find his courage from his father and how he was raised, but also in who his God is, and this heavenly father that he served. I believe Eleazar knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that he was one of God's chosen people, that he was part of the Lord's army, and that he knew what God could do with just one person who would stand up. I'm reminded of what the prophet Zephaniah says in Zephaniah 3.17 when he says, the Lord your God is in your midst, that he is a victorious warrior, that he will exult over you with joy, that he will be quiet in his love, that he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. See, Eleazar was not afraid to take a stand, even though the people he was standing up to were bigger and stronger and more powerful than he was. And he knew that he could do so, not just because he saw his father stand first, but also because he trusted in whose strength he stood. And he knew that as he stood there in defiance, even taunting the Philistine armies, that he did so because of the God he served. We read about this same strength in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We can look to someone like Eleazar about what it means to stand firm. Does it feel like the world is against you? Stand firm. 
Does it feel like the enemy is trying to steal the heart and mind of your children? Stand firm. Are there times where you, not, you are not sure you have enough strength left to go the next day? Stand firm in his strength. Stand firm. Not only do we see Eleazar stand up to the Philistine army, defy them as they want to take the land, but we also see in the midst of his standing that he stood when all others retreated. As we look again in our passage today, it says that, that he was there and he defied the Philistines who were gathered there in the battle um, and the men of Israel had withdrawn. Despite the fact that he was in the, this place of one of Israel and one of David's greatest victories, the armies of Israel had already conceded the ground. They viewed it as a battle that they absolutely could not win and it was better for them to retreat and regroup than try to take on the Philistines in this place. In fact, 1 Chronicles 11 verse 13, the latter, latter part of it says that and the people fled before the Philistines. This means that not only did they say, hey, I don't think we can do this, let's go regroup, but they ran. Imagine being David, the king and the general with his mighty men and beginning to see his armies melt away to safer ground because they thought that the war, the battle was already lost. This means that Eleazar stood his ground alone. And sometimes it can feel very lonely when you take a stand for what is right. A lot of times, even today, if you have the courage to stand on your faith, and stand in defiance of what our culture or the world around us is trying to tell us to accept or even celebrate, it may feel that all the people around you also start to melt away and you find yourself standing alone. They say in this day and age, especially for fathers and men in general, that men today feel more lonely than ever before. I've had the very blessing and privilege to do some mentoring at Clarity Solutions. And one of the things I get to do is talk with other men who are, who are dads and who are going to be dads and, and just talk about that kind of life and what that is. And I am always amazed at how often men, even fathers, even married men, talk about how alone they feel. Every time I have one of those conversations with, pe with people, I usually leave after encouraging and all those things, and I thank God for my church family. We don't always think about that. And sometimes even we as men get really stubborn, and we think that, that we can do it alone. But I want to tell you something, guys. Guys, I don't want you to go it alone. There's going to be lots of times in this world where you will feel alone. But men, women also, though, you're way better about this than us guys are. Men, I want you to look around this room. There are other men in this congregation who are going through what you have been through, who have already been through what you have been through, and who are going to go through what you may be going through right now. We need to be here for each other. We need to be here for each other when our jobs don't work the way they want, when our kids aren't... aren't, aren't, aren't jive into whatever we've got planned when everything seems to be falling apart when we feel alone we need to look to each other we need to have people that we can text and we can call people that can encourage us 
people that aren't going to judge us and, and tell us that, but are just going to be there for us. And you know what? There are people in this congregation. I don't know where you are in your life or what you're going through. There are people in this congregation that can benefit from your friendship. And from knowing, your, knowing what you know and experiencing the, your wisdom because of the things that, 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 that you've been through. Some of you have already seen that. Some of you have been through extremely hard times in your life and you had no idea why in the world God would put you through those things. And then one, then one day later, whether it was a month, a year, a week, whatever, later in life, you met someone probably from this church or in your work or wherever who was going through something similar and you got to say, I know. And it's going to get better. God uses us that way. See, because even though we may feel alone, we are not alone. In fact, even Eleazar was not alone. If we look over to 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and look at verse 13, it says this, it says that an Eleazar was with David at Pazdamim when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle. See, Eleazar was not alone. Instead, he was with God's anointed king of Israel. And even though he may have stood there initially and said, I'm not giving up this ground, I'm not giving up this field, I don't care what you bring down that hill, I don't care how hard you fight, I am not moving. There was a point in there where he looked over his shoulders and realized that he was not standing in that field alone, but he stood next to the giant slayer, David. And here's the good news for you today. You have someone standing next to you, only it is not God's anointed King David. It is God's anointed King Jesus who has already defeated death and the grave, and he stands with you if you are in Christ. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at the words of the Great Commission one more time with me today. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, says this, And Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, there are times in your life where you feel alone. And I don't think that's a guy problem or a girl problem. But you are not. If indeed you have given your life to Christ, I want you to understand something. First and foremost, you have the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. You are not alone. Number two, you have the promises of Jesus that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone. And number three, God has given you the church and we are here to come alongside you, to pray with you, to encourage you, to help you and to see you through whatever you are going through. You are not alone. And do not let the lies of the enemy, this world and the flesh tell you anything different. You are not alone so imagine here again for just a moment the scene you're Eleazar one of David's mighty men you are standing in the middle of a wheat field facing down an entire army sword in hand saying come on 
Come on then. We could pretend it's from local and he'll say something like who day, which is terrible, but we'll allow it. What you got? Bring it. And the army starts coming down the field. And you may look over your shoulder to your left and you may realize that the army that you thought you were with is not with you anymore. But then you may look over to the other side and then you realize that David is with you. And maybe with David, a few more are coming in. If you have the, the other three mighty men, you have Benaiah, who my son is named after. And a few others that are going to come up on you. And the army comes and it says that Eleazar began to fight and fight and fight. And I don't know if he had a sword. All we know for sure is he had a sword. And Eleazar fought and fought and fought. And he fought the Philistines again and again and again. And I don't know if by the time it was all said and done, it was David and Eleazar back to back fighting Philistine after Philistine after Philistine. He fought and he fought and he fought and he fought. And it says that he fought so much that eventually he, he could grow so weary and so tired that his hand clung to the sword and it cramped up and it wouldn't release it. He fought until he had nothing left that he couldn't even let go of the sword. And he fought 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 until, as First Chronicles tells us, that he had struck down the entire Philistine army. Second Samuel says that by the time he had stopped fighting, that all that was left for the rest of the army to do was to go and to gather up the spoils. That David and Eleazar took on an entire army of hundreds of thousands, maybe tens of thousands. But there's one thing that both passages agree on. And we see this in Second Samuel 23.10. It says, and he arose and he struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Eleazar had done something incredible. Something heroic, something miraculous. And yet all the glory would go to Yahweh, his God. Because he knew what had happened. Eleazar knew that it was not his superior fighting, it wasn't his superior physique or, or training, but it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who brought deliverance that day. In fact, 1 Chronicles eleven fourteen says it this way, it says, and the Lord saved them that day. Don't think for a moment that David and that Eleazar did not know what had happened that day. It was not their strength. It was not their cunning. It was not their brains. It was not their, their superior strategy or anything else. They recognized that the only way that they would ever have victory was if the Lord interceded and they trusted that the Lord would intercede and they acted knowing and believing that the Lord would intercede. And guess what? The Lord showed up. And he brought up a tremendous victory that day. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, make sure that we give God the glory in all things. We are called to be an example of humility and of worship to God in our homes. That we give Him the glory because He deserves it. God is doing amazing things in this building. And I look out in this room and I see men and women 
girls and boys in whom God is working miraculously. And I know some of the victories that you guys have experienced in your life, victories over sin, victories over, over all sorts of things, and how God has brought you through to be where you are today. And I would challenge you today, make sure that God gets the glory. Make sure that when you tell people about your life and what God has done in your life, that the focus, that the, the spotlight is on God and that He gets all the glory. Make sure that you are a dad, a mom, a brother, a sister, a friend in Christ that is constantly pointing people to Jesus so that they might know Him and that they might see God through you. This last week we had vacation Bible school and the challenge of the week was to shine Jesus' light. And one of our little characters that they got introduced to was a, a, a gal with a really nice haircut named Luna. And Luna was the moon. And the main message of that was she didn't have any light of her own. And so the only light that the moon gives off is the light that it reflects from the sun. And I've always loved that analogy and I always feel like that is exactly what we are called to do as fathers, as mothers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are called to reflect the light of God so that other people can see him. Eleazar could have taken all the credit that day. The only one that stood up, the only one that defied the Philistine army, the one who alongside David brought about a great victory. But who does he give the glory to? Who does scripture say won that battle? The Lord did. And that's true. He's right. I would challenge us to make sure that we are doing the same thing. That in all that we do, that we shine a light on Jesus. And we point all things to God and we recognize that all that we are and all that we've done and all that we have accomplished is by the grace of God. David said this himself in Psalm 96. He said, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, uh, the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. In all that we do, in all that we are, let us give God the glory. So that those who know us and the children that we are raising might know God and follow us in worship. Eleazar was a mighty man of God, a hero of the faith. But I don't believe that what made him one of God's mighty men was because he fought in a lot of battles. It was not that he had great victories that, could tell, that he could tell stories of. It was not because of his association with David the king even before he became king. What made Eleazar great was his faith. Faith to stand when others ran. Faith that led him to trust in God when others crumbled. Faith that made him give God the glory when others would have taken the credit themselves. These are the things that made Eleazar a hero. Gentlemen, 
I pray that these are the things that make you a hero in your own children's eyes. And for all of us, I pray these are the qualities that we have so that we can shine Jesus' light to a world who desperately needs to see his power and his glory. I hope we can be heroes like this even today. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you for examples like Eleazar. God, examples of courage and of strength, but more than anything, God, examples of people, everyday, normal people that you use for your glory to do tremendous things. God, it is my hope and pray that prayer that we don't look at someone like Eleazar as some, some superhero from a far-off time that, that doesn't have any relation to us, God. But Lord, I pray that we will see the faith of Eleazar, of how he stood, of how he fought, of how he trusted in you for the victory and how he gave you the glory when the victory had. And Lord, I pray that we will live out that same faith every day of our life. God, no one in this room is going to face a Philistine army. But God, all of us in this room sometimes feel like we are alone against an army of things that are trying to get us. And Father God, I pray that you would stir up the spirit inside of us, that we would have a desire to, to trust in you, that we would have the strength to trust in you, and that we would stand in defiance of this world for your namesake and for your glory. Father God, as I look at this room, Lord, I know that there are so many people who have already experienced a victory like Eleazar. And God, I know that there are people in this room today that are fighting like he is right now. Lord, I pray that you would show them your strength, your might, your glory in whatever battles that they are facing today, just like you did with Eleazar. And Lord, I pray that we as a church family will come together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, and ultimately to give you the glory for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, I know that there very well may be people in this room today who have not placed their faith in Jesus at all. And God, they need your strength. They need your power because they are still facing that same army that is out to get them, Lord, but they don't, they don't have your promises and they are just hearing about it for the first time. God, I pray that they would consider your word. Lord, that they would recognize that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you are the God of all things and that you love them so much that you sent your one and only son that Jesus was his name and that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for their sins and that he rose from the grave three days later. Lord, I pray that they would believe that the words of scripture are true and they would place their faith in Jesus. And so just like you delivered Eleazar and the armies of Israel that day, so too would you deliver them from their sin and the punishment of sin today. And they might begin to walk in this great victory we have in Christ. Lord, thank you for today. And Lord, let help us to be the mighty men and women of God that you have called us to be. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.